Hello, and welcome to Three Wise DMs, the show where three dungeon masters, who have been doing this for way too long, talk about what it takes to run a great role-playing game. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by my co-conspirators. Tony and Dave. Still here. That's right, Dave. As you here. heard, we have promoted you. You are now co-conspirator. Welcome oh. to the conspiracy. Oh. Mm. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's all title, guys, just so you know. It's one of those all title <laughs> Just like my career. Yep. Yeah. Just like, here, we even gave you business cards. Now shut up about the raise. <laughs> <laughs> it's title, no raise. You know, you were paying you an experience. We're paying all of us an experience, point of fact. But <clears throat> conversations <laughs> for another time. <laughs> so now, today, I say co-conspirators for a reason. Because this week, we're going to talk about how we lay our most dastardly plans for encounters. We'll get into our, our philosophies for what we want to accomplish with encounters, as well as the tactics and tips we use to build the challenges. We'll also talk a bit about what hasn't worked for us and sometimes when our encounters have gone wrong and what we've done from that and what we've learned from it. So that's what we'll get to in a minute. But before we begin, I just want to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in here. Our audience has been growing across Twitter and Facebook and the podcast platforms, and we really appreciate all the support you guys and girls have given us. Remember to check out 3wisedms.com for articles that go deeper into some of the details mentioned in these podcasts. We've done about a dozen podcasts. In fact, this is episode 12 today, but there's more than a dozen pieces of content on the website, so go check that out as well. And let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about by submitting a comment in our What's Your Problem form on the website, or email us at 3wisedms at gmail.com, or just connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. We're always listening and always responding, and we'd love to hear from you. Now, on to the good stuff. How do we plan and build our encounters? And let's start with the more philosophical side. What are you trying to do with your encounters? Tony, let's kick off with you there. What are you trying to do? And in general, what's, what do you want to accomplish with the encounters you're building for your players? Well, when I look at my game, I'm thinking about it in terms of how are we spending our time? And if we're going to do combat, I want my combats to be smooth. Now, mm. what can the DM do to prepare for this? Well, be comfortable with your monsters. Um, you want to have it. I've been in situations where, and it drives me nuts, where people don't know the initiative order and we're all over the place. And it's like, is it my turn? And I'm going and I'm like, no, no, man, no, <laughs> you just went. Um, that drives me a little crazy. But um, I like to have it um, not be predictable in my counters, but my mm. encounters can't be especially random either. So they have to make sense. I would avoid uh, anything being over, like overly complicated because some you put too many monsters in one encounter with uh, a whole plethora of abilities, they're just all over the place. And mm. it becomes super difficult to track. The players that what's going on is the DM. You're not sure yourself. And it's like, hey, did you get me with that monster's aura last round? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, crap. Take nine mm. retroactive cold damage. And that's not where you want to be. <laughs> like, what do you want them to accomplish when they get there? Like, what do you want players to feel when they're in your encounters? Or like, what, what are you trying to do in the game? Like, well, like when you put a combat in or, or another encounter, like what, what role does that play in the game you're trying to do? I want the encounter to be meaningful. Like, I just don't want this to be, hey, you're on this flat chess board and I've pushed some monsters across the table. You're going to slam into each other like you're watching a football game and you've chewed them up and spit them out. Because yeah. well, that creates a whole air of the players are supposed to just destroy anything I put in front of them. And that gets dull. Yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to build your encounters. And we've talked about this. We've touched on this a little bit in some recent episodes. You've said like, you don't like random encounters, right? You want your encounters to advance the plot or at least kind of move them along the dungeon. I've used some random encounter tables with positively 
disastrous and hilarious results. <laughs> where, where I'm in an encounter, and I'm like, all right, guys, so you're running around this dungeon. And, of course, I'm referring back to first and second E. But this yeah. is printed material. This is why I, I, I don't really swear by printed material with some of the same reverence some of my peers do. But we were in an encounter, and we're like, okay, you rested a little too long, guys. Let's throw this random encounter. What, what are we going to face here? Let me roll the dice, and I roll this, and you're fighting seven fire giants. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! It's time to punt. Like, everybody, run for your lives. Good old first edition and second edition encounter tables. And they weren't. They weren't balanced. It was like, specifically, no, you roll a 20. That's a dragon, guys. Better take some cover. <laughs> Yeah, no. Oh, you weren't fully healed? Tough shit. Here here are the giants. <laughs> this encounter might end more in slavery than mm. uh, killing. Oh, it'll end in killing. Yeah, that, that was some bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially a random encounter shouldn't be harder than your core, like, than like, your boss. Yeah. My boss encounter wasn't as tough as fighting seven fire giants in one room. <laughs> There's just seven fire giants just strolling down a hall. They're like, err, where this little guy's down there with their campfire. Like, Let's stop on them, like. Yeah, it's definitely. I think you need your encounters to be balanced, whether they're random or not, or at least let your players know that hey, there's seven fire giants coming by. Maybe that's not the time to get brave. Maybe discretion is the better part of valor tonight. Oh, and I've had players that would absolutely go at them. They're yeah. like, "What seven fire giants? All right, we're doing this." And I'm like, "You're level six, she's level five, and you're outnumbered." You sure? Oh, oh, the ranger shot one in the face. Okay, it's happening. The words of Aaron Burr. Okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> so, so Dave, that's that's how yeah. Tony approaches his encounters. What do you? How do you approach encounters? I just want to butt up on Tony's uh, two of his thoughts because uh, I I feel similarly. I will say with the you know the initiative and who's going and what's happening, who's on deck? Did I already go? <laughs> you know, we've been we've said it a hundred times now. We play we're playing a lot of roll twenty and uh, I love this initiative counter thing. Like oh my God. I, I want to like create it for like yeah. my living. For real you life. Know? Yeah. You know I like Where I use a whiteboard in in. Uh, you know, I use a whiteboard in, in live games, and I've thought about, like, having it hang behind me. You know, write it up, boom, there it is. Everybody can see it. Who's on deck? Get ready. You know, so. You know, uh, just a, I've seen one solution that uses clothespins with the yeah. player's name count painted on them yeah. and then with the monster's names, like, kind of scribbled on in marker, and they put them across the uh, the DM screen. The DM so screen, yeah. Out. We're facing both ways. Well, like so you said in your one article, though, that's uh, that's one of those. Like, I think the whiteboard is quick. Like, the yeah. clothespin thing is cool, but, like, my God, I got, like, I'm putting out eight clothespins, you know? And so, anyway, that's, <laughs> you know, it's like slogging the game. But, uh, and two, the random encounter thing, because it's actually something I've started to play with because uh, I like random encounters. I like the, uh, especially Overland movement because of what they do for uh, creating an organic feel to the world and creating the idea that it's dangerous out there. You don't just go to get, let's get to the next town where something cool is going to happen. Like you're out there, especially like currently in Barovia, it's meant to be dangerous in the Spalage woods, right? So you need to kind of do. So what I actually do is I have planned random encounters. I'll take two or three random encounters that I roll out previously, and I do it randomly. I'll see what the dice bring up for me, and I'll throw them out there. And then if random encounters happen, I have some ready that are uh, – I can at least make sure it's not seven fire giants, um, you know, just rolling down in, like, 
the town, like just randomly, like why? They were thirsty. They were curious. Like, you know, this makes zero think, narrative sense. Yeah. I think by and large, fifth edition has gotten better with with yeah. not ambushing the players with seven fire giants. It's the sort of thing play testing tends to help with. <laughs> a little bit, you know. They'll they'll give you a couple that are like, ooh, this is this is dangerous, but it's not gonna completely wipe you. But in terms of what yeah, am like, I looking for? Yeah, like, with, philosophically, what do you want to accomplish yeah. with an encounter? So I used to think of the same way that everyone seems to think online these days, which is balance. How do I balance encounters? How do I? And we get all the formulas, whether it's CR or hit die or whatever, right? And for me, I like a level of balance. Like I don't want to just throw like three adult green dragons at like a level two party, right? Like don't be an asshole. But at the same point, what we start to realize and what I'm realizing more in every game that we're playing, that I'm playing in or I'm running, is balance is nonsense because so many mm-hmm. things are happening, right? I mean, Tony is is witnessing that, like, writ large because he's he just like, okay, what the fuck am I supposed to throw at you guys because you're blasting these things, right? Um, and I've been noticing that, too. So what I like is I like it to be – I like to play with different monsters, uh, things that they haven't necessarily come upon yet because people like to see new things and what cool abilities does it have? And that's weird. Oh my God, it's terrible. Um, I like it to fit within the narrative. I don't like, uh, like I said it in one of the articles, like you could run into some hook horrors in the middle of the woods, but why? Like, I think it, it makes make a lot, lot sense. more sense yeah. to run into, I don't Throw know, way to the caverns. Or goblins, or beasts, uh, owlbears, or, right? Or if there are hokars in the woods, well, maybe you've got a cool story reason they're there. I think yeah, if you're using about, random encounters, that's find, part of what you fell in. Yeah, I'm about to find the rift down into the Underdark now. Ooh, this is cool. Right? Whatever. But, you know, I like it narrative. And I do like to create a level of challenge that I am constantly frustrated by. <laughs> because I'll <laughs> always think, this is super challenging. And then... Oh my God! Like they're just they're buzzsawing through these things. So, uh, oh, wait, just a real quick story because it just happened last night. We did a uh, an online uh, session of my text only campaign, the Brothers Chen, uh, mm-hmm. that my brothers and I are running, and uh, we're beasting through these things, especially my rogue because he has the assassin feet now. Which, yeah. by the way, listeners, get the assassin feet. Holy crap! It's insanity! It's insanity! But uh, so I'm I'm just like sniping out these things. We get to the final encounter and very quickly it's running towards the TPK. Uh, I think that Chris, the DM, I think he had uh, I think he might have played with a little bit. But I'm still not sure. And I don't want to ask him because I don't want to take away the mystery. But it very quickly turned into, oh, well, I need to throw something challenging at them. And now, oh, crap, it, it's turning into the red caps. Right. So, so yeah, I like to I like to play with those things, but for me, a lot of the narrative is coming in play because I'm realizing that balance and and challenge is such a, a fluid thing, such a fluid thing. Yeah, 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 and I think that's you know it's one of the things that has taken the most time for me as a DM to really get a handle on. Um, and I think so, so for me, what I'm trying to aim for in an encounter is. You know, I'm approaching the world a little more from a point of view of how I want the players to feel and interact with the world. A little less about how do I want them progressing through the narrative. So that does mean I will tend to throw out kind of wilderness encounters, which are you ran into these things in the woods. 
they're attacking you or you walked into their ambush or you've surprised them. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, so I know with the, with the Woodstock Wanderers campaign, like I remember, you know, the, the first thing was you guys were tracking down, uh, you know, trying to track down kidnapped villagers that goblins had run away with in the woods. So it's like, all right, you're getting into this wild woods. First thing that happens is you run into some boars and they attack you. Now, the reason I'm doing that isn't because it came up on a random encounter table. It's because I want to drive home. The woods are dangerous and you are more prey here than in control. Cause this is a very wild area. People had not been in. Uh, so that's the, what I'm trying to send. I think one of the next things you guys ran into was uh, a, an area of the woods that was taken over by spiders, where it was like very much like the work, work yeah. wood spiders. And I have personally seen trees that were totally covered in a silver mist of spider webs. So like I've seen this personally um, before. So that's kind of what I was trying to evoke was this idea of giant spiders that have so webbed the forest. You're basically walking through a tunnel of webs with glittery yeah. treasure piles off into the webs if you dare to go get them, which, of course, none of the players did, which is probably good because they were absolutely traps. These are they, smart traps. <laughs> we um, were level one. We were level one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what that all comes down to philosophically is with a lot of those kinds of encounters, what I'm trying to do is to drive home a, t a certain style of play. I want my players to be paying attention. I want them to be thinking. I never want them to feel safe in those situations. There's other places they can feel safe, but if I'm doing that, the message is you're not safe in the woods. Um, and I want them to know that the, the bad guys have plans too, and that they're doing things. They're not only are they going to be smart, but they've got their own thing going on. So like when you're talking about, when you're talking about running into the spiders, well, the reason the spiders are set up that way is because that is the part of the woods where they hunt and you're walking through essentially their hunting ground. Um, and this is how they get their food. So they've got a thing. They've got a system. They've got a plan. And when you're entering their space, which is where most encounters happen, because generally, most of the time, adventuring parties are going into the wild, into the places where the monsters live, rather than the other way around. So you're walking yeah. into their place, and they have an ecological way, a system, a plan, whatever you want to call it that they work by. So you're kind of walking into their traps in a lot of cases, or you're seeing them coming um, or you're surprising them when they weren't expecting a threat there, depending on what kind of monster you're talking about. So that's really something I try to do in my encounter building. Then when you get into more set encounters, like if you're like inside a dungeon or a castle, I want to have encounters that reflect that. Okay. Here's how these people live and defend their places. And this is what they do. And I'm always trying to approach it from the point of view of, okay, well the goblins set up a burrow here. What's in here. It's the stuff they did to defend the burrow. It's not just random stuff that threatens the players. Like I don't like I'll use traps, but the traps will tend to be in places where I think the goblins had traps and they'll be set up to let a goblin pass. So for instance, again, in the Woodstock wanderers, it was a hallway coming in and the hallway had a pitfall trap that was set up not to be let, set off by a light goblin, but would be set off by a heavy, you know, predator or a human or like a dire wolf or whatever else might come in to attack them. So maybe I a gold dragon more, maybe, a, right. maybe possibly a gold dragon more than Claire. Yeah. Something so like that. I tend to think that way. I'm trying to set up things that have a certain, uh, a certain logic in the world we're in and that are driving home the sense of, okay, the players are entering this foreign space. They're going into where the monsters live and now they have to figure out how to live or like how to play around the monsters roles, you know, they haven't they usually haven't gotten to set the field and that's a lot of what i'm trying to do and even when you get to boss encounters it's the same kind of idea i'm always trying to start from the point of view of why is this boss here 
What is this boss doing? What are they trying to accomplish? So like that came to a head when you guys were, were, were still on the trail of these villagers who had been kidnapped and you got close to catching them. But OK, now they had advanced to a point where they were more. The kidnappers were more in their territory, which was controlled by this kind of cultish kind of thing. And yeah. now you ran into cult guards who basically headed you off. You know, no, that's exactly what I when I was saying uh, I like to play uh with the, like I want it to make sense narratively. That's what I'm talking about. I want it to, to fit into the world. So it's not just, oh, you just happen yeah. to have this random person here. It has to have a reason. Even if it's published up, I'll change. That's where I'll kit bash. I'll change uh, everything around because continuity. It, can't, it can't. Yeah, it has to have a level of like, OK, that makes sense. And then that helps pe that helps the players to put things together. Right. You know, I think, you know, Tony, you just mentioned continuity, and that's what we're talking about. And I do yeah. think, because when you mention continuity in that kind of the thing. wider world of D&D, &D, you get the answer, well, it's magic and dragons fly. What's continuity? Well, that makes sense. I think mm -hmm. continuity is the most disrespected and underappreciated aspect of running a good game. Your world needs to make internal sense to the players and the players' characters. That's even if important. it's fantastical. Right? Yeah, yeah, even if it's fantastical. Especially yeah, if it's fantastical, because if it's fantastical and there's no continuity, it just starts to feel like either cheesy or it can start feeling like bullshit. Like whatever the DM wants to happen is going to happen just because, not because it made sense from what the players did. Well, you know, yeah. that's why continuity is so important. And I try to, I guess we all do, you know, we're trying to bring that to our encounters in a lot of ways. And that brings a lot more life to the encounter. Yeah. 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 That's absolutely correct. Uh, even back in D&D's heyday, where things were super not balanced and ridiculous, there were still <laughs> there were still rules which everything functioned within. So even yeah. if you're running across a wizard who could throw a fireball the size of a Walmart parking lot, it still functioned within the context of that universe. This that's a really big fireball. That's well, yeah, that's no, nah, okay, really maybe fireball. half that big, but you get well, the you idea. Know, I would actually say that almost <laughs> if you go back to the early days, what you almost found was continuity overbalance and some of the things we're talking about like okay you find seven fire giants walking by why because that might happen in this world because fire giants in this world i think from that designer's point of view there was a continuity to it it just he didn't care if it didn't make balance sense now we're trying to balance stuff and give you continuity i think mm. yeah some degree of balance is, is super important however as the more i play in 5e I st i'm starting to think that cr is really important at lower levels and mm. then over time it breaks down so much uh, in a matter of speaking, like kind of like how power levels did in Dragon Ball Z. Like in the yeah. beginning, in the first couple episodes of that series, it really made a lot of sense. And then by like, you know, the end of season one, you're like, yeah, this is hilarious. <laughs> this is just all over the place. It was pretty I've much good right up until they said he's over 9,000. And from there on, it was just. Yeah, just it's out the window. <laughs> but it's a big joke. And the creators even admitted that. Like even in, in the uh, Storm King's Thunder, you guys have flattened monsters way outside your curve. Yeah. Well, well, there's that's a big part. And it's one of the things I, I've been noticing, too, because all three of us currently in every single game that we're currently running are playing with big parties. We're playing with six plus yeah. parties. Uh, the only thing I think is Tony's is five. Right. I thought we're five. I think the five, in you have five characters and an NPC. Yeah. Yeah. So that completely yeah. throws stuff out of the window. Yeah. You have to change the whole formula. Well, 
I mean, I don't know if it throws it out of the window, but I think you got to remember when you're counting CR level, it is that is it's supposed to be equal to four players yeah. of that party level. So if you're talking a CR six thing against six CR six uh, level six players, you have already exceeded that CR. Like you're going way over. Like 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 they're gonna they're gonna make mincemeat of it because that is 50% more powerful than that CR monster was meant for. So that is that's where you come into. You know, I don't get too deep into CR. I do use it. The most important line that I read in the book, the thing that I try to remember is that of CRX monster. Like, so if you go above the level of the party in CR, according to the book, the real threat there is this monster might be able to take out one of your party members in one hit. But that doesn't really seem to happen that much once you get further up. Like at level one, it does. Like at level one, if you put a CR2 monster in there, your wizards can get one-shotted. At level seven, I feel like you put a CR8 monster in there. I don't feel like anyone's at really in danger of getting killed in one hit. I haven't seen it at yeah. least. Have you guys? No, no way. No, no. and and what you have to and I, we're probably going to get into this even deeper too. But we have to realize too the the level of action economy that changes mm-hmm. it too when you have these large parties because you fuck somebody's initiative, especially on the big boss and. He's probably going down because you got eight people unloading both barrels in his or her face. I mean, I, we were talking. I think we talked about this last week. Like, I had a green dragon that showed up against against the Woodstock Wanderers, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so this guy he's a, he's like a CR seven. They're like level six. He was a young green dragon. He's I'm like, young, I'm, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have him show up and just kind of terrorize him a little bit and run away, blow some breath weapons and get out of there. He did one thing where he revealed where he was because uh, the party had sent a, a, a basically a um, like 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 a bag of monster a bag of tricks monster out there to kind of bait him out and he attacked it and he killed it and then they're like okay he's there and then the party throws off fireballs like it's the Fourth of July it's like in the, I swear to God the national anthem is playing in the background in the raucous red glare and all of a sudden this yeah. guy's getting lit up it's like anti aircraft guns going off in World War Two and he's taken he was at a third of his hit points I think before he got a chance to take an attack no we also. He was at half before he had a chance to take an attack. Yeah, also, because we kind of knew something was probably over there, everyone was like, oh, yeah. I ready this, I ready this. And we all triggered for if something happened, boom. And then it just it was not, before it was, initiative it was, was even rolled. I would have had a bat fly out. You guys would all fucking use the bat. <laughs> That's an I mean, excellent There goes our third level slots, guys. Sorry. No, they, they didn't ready those. And actually, in players, smart players don't ready leveled spells because if they don't get to use them, they lose them. Yeah, so. yeah. You didn't do that. But, you know, it really it was a little bit intentionally that way. I wanted to drive the tension up. So that's one of the thing I'm trying to do with a lot of my encounters is as we talk about, I want the players to be scared. I want them to be respectful that they're in the monster's place. I do try to ratchet up tension in my encounters. I don't do many encounters that are you walk into a room, your guys are on the board. And here's the monsters on the board. And now you guys are fighting in this, you know, 50 by 50 room. I don't do that very often if i do it it's okay the party sees there's a room ahead they see some monsters and the party gets to plan how they want to advance mm-hmm. you know i want that intellectual engagement in that tension level of okay how do we get in there and not get killed because i've also sent the message as we talked about that i don't care if you die so if my players understand that and they don't want to die and they want to get through they're going to stop and they're going to talk amongst themselves and come up with a plan and it's going to be a nice tense thrilling moment before they go in in this situation, it was an open map. There was an obvious ambush point. There was a fallen tree. The thing was probably hiding behind. And they're like, yeah, that's a trap. I mean, it's like that Mad Max meme. 
that's bait. That's exactly what the whole party said, which is what I wanted. So they're walking on tether hooks, trying to get up there. Like just trying, okay, how can we get there? I literally it thought was trunk. I thought the tree was the trap. I thought it was just gonna like crush somebody. Like when we sent the wolf be, in or yeah. whatever it was, I thought it was just gonna and just crush. Like <laughs> that is the that is the sense of fear. I want in the party. It's exactly. not so much fear. Yeah. It's, it's that tension, that idea that, all right, we've got to walk through this and think our way through it, because if we're not thinking, something bad could happen. And the truth is, that level seven dragon alone was never going to be a threat to the party. That, 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 that young dragon, a CR7 dragon, was never going to be a threat to the party. And I really just wanted to get a couple breath weapons off and get him out of there. He basically got one and flew away with like a quarter of his hit points. Like he would have been dead and around. That, which is uh, fun. that one breath weapon, though, perfect example of what you were saying mm -hmm. before, right? It knocked out it took me out. It took, I think, the one sorcerer out. I think it took two or three of us out cold immediately. Did that it drop anyone? Or was Maybe it then? Because we, when he came back and ambushed us yeah. at the portal, uh, I remember he blasted. Yeah, because we That's were crossing the yeah. ford, right? We were crossing the little river, and like two or three of us were gone in a sh one shot. Like we were just out, you know? So it's that kind of stuff where it's that like kind of one shot where it goes, oh crap! Like they could take it out, but now I, now the cleric's gone, now the sorcerer's <laughs> gone, and the paladin is trying to drag them across the river, right? You know what creates tension? Death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being out is creates immediately everything ratchets up. And I gotta tell you, I can only think of a few modules or campaigns I was in where there was consistent tension. One module was Nightmare Keep. Uh, a campaign setting was Under Mountain. Because every level of Undermount is just a death trap. Well, no, I also got to throw in, um, oh, what's that one with Acerac? What am I thinking of, Dave? Tomb of, Tomb of Horrors. Horrors. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, now, yeah. okay, those three. Done as Tomb of Annihilation. Which I totally want to run through. I want to run it. We're doing it. So, sounds I'm sounds perfectly lovely. I'm in. Let me know what's going on. But yeah, that's, that's your classic uh, meat grinder one, right? Tomb yeah. of Horrors. That's exactly what's going Yeah, you're dying. You know what, though? I don't think you need to kill a character. Like, what Dave's talking about there, the dragon showed up. So so the party had run on without short resting, because they were like, all right, the dragon's running away. We can run forward to get to this portal we're trying to get to. And honestly, as a DM, I set all this up to try to make them deal with the dragon. Like, the dragon actually wanted them to come to, to pay fealty to him. The party was having... Nope. It's complicated, nope. complicated setup, like, but it was... There was actually two treants at the portal that were supposed to stop the party, and the party hit uh, great dispel magic rolls on them. They were geest treants. They were supposed to turn the party away, and the party dispelled them and got through the portal. So great. They never actually had to finish the dragon. Um, but when I had him pop up the second time, the party hadn't rested, so I knew his breath weapon was going to be very damaging. But then, actually, because I knew it was going to drop some players, I had him breath weapon and run away and like fade away. Like he basically just drifted away after he breath weaponed. Um, so that's a case of I didn't want to push the I didn't want to have him hang out and kill a bunch of party members. But once party members hit the ground, because like literally three party members got knocked out, including the cleric. Now everyone's scared. Now yeah. the tension is up. Now they're trying to figure out what do we do? Is the dragon coming back? And that's what I want to get to. It doesn't take, for me, it doesn't take killing players. Once you're making them work with half the party down and they're thinking about how do I rescue my comrades while not getting killed, while fighting, I want them thinking about that. No, well, this the, uh, is D&D. Yeah. Are they mostly dead? Like, what are we talking about? Right. <laughs> well, we were out. We were out. Yeah. But then, our, like, I'm the healer. I was out. So that's mm -hmm. when, when that goes down when your ability to get healthy again goes away, that's when everything gets very, very real, I think. 
Um, but we also, you, Thorne, you also, you had, you had placed enough of the breadcrumbs about his, the dragon's lieutenant, the Lamia, that, that they had. And then the dragon comes back to ambush us when we're almost trying to get through this damn portal. And we're like dealing with him. He takes out people. And now the Lamia shows up. We're like, oh, shit, this is done. We're done. We're done. We're being captured. Something is happening. You know? I mean, this whole this whole bit they were going through that night was based on there's a line in the Green Dragon write up that Green Dragons in fifth edition really like to have influence. They count their power by the people they have under their thumbs and under their influence. So I played that all up. This dragon had made friends with the Lamia. And the Lamia was using its Gaius spells to basically turn things into the dragon's servants. Um, so that was what was going on. I mean, that's just justice background. We didn't even get deep into it. We might come back to it later at some point, and the dragon will be at least an adult green dragon. Because he was, I described him as being close, as kind of being too big for his skin as it was. I, my plan was he's young now, and if he comes back later, he'll be a, an adult. So that was the setup, and, and you know, the players had seen it coming in, and, and we, had, we had made it clear in a couple ways. So yeah, so, you know, the bottom line is we're talking about encounter building, and I wanted that. I wanted that sense of tension. I wanted that sense of, okay, even though there's only one dragon out there, the players can take out i want them really thinking about how am i going to do it it does slow things down my encounters tend to be a little slower because of that whereas tony you do a lot of encounters that are like okay you walk into a room these things pop up fight and they're fairly quick encounters like you're going for a different thing with it i think you're going more for like here's the fight have some fun with it let's move on it depends there's some places where i like to throw out the opportunity if there is as this in the previous podcast if there's a creative way to solve it if there's diplomacy you want to solve it if there's intimidation yeah. you want to solve it all legit. Yeah. Otherwise, sometimes you run into a monster that's just not having it. It's just savage and wants to eat your face. But also in those encounters, I really enjoy giving a player an opportunity to do something that's nearly impossible. And I'll give you an example of that. There was a scenario where we were in a book module and we were about 170 yards away from about 175 away from two riders. And what were they riding? Purple worms. And they were coming at us. All right. So those Shot were like, was that yeah. Palm Wadib and like, you know, Stilgar? Yes. Yes. If it had been in a desert, it would have been perfect. It was actually in this monstrous cavern. So my party rangers like, and I wasn't running this game. I wasn't playing this. He's like, I'm taking a shot. I want, I want to do, you know, I want to do like a called shot. And we're like, yeah, okay. I, 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 I'm pulling out my friggin' spyglass and I'm like, yeah, okay, go for it. <laughs> and this guy took a shot and he hit him on a crit and it was legendary. And 15, 20 years later, we're still bringing that up because that turned the whole battle. It went from like, this is going to be a really pitched friggin' nail biting encounter to he maimed one of the riders before he was anywhere near us. And that just turned the entire tide of that battle in the encounter. Tony, you've said that before about the uh, Sir Thomas encounter too. It seems like you've been able to, uh, it's just the fates worked out enough and the and the encounter worked out enough that it came down to this, you rolled a 20 when it mattered, right? And like, who that can go really bad, but when it goes right, it becomes that epic, I'm going to talk about this for the next 35 years story, right? Yeah, incredible role like that can absolutely become a, a really rooted story in your own personal gaming mythology. Now, of yeah. course, as we've said before, we play with critical misses, and my God, have we murdered each other by accident. <laughs> so not as quite as epic uh, when we're killing the players off faster than the monsters are. In this a party also, and, this, and this is using that critical hit system you guys used, where he got the lucky natural 20 with the, with the times X damage or something, right? It oh, wasn't yeah, like he a base. Well been shot with a BMX missile. Yeah. I mean, that rider was like blown <laughs> molecule. 
What I like, so I mean, there is a debate actually going around uh, Twitter about uh, whether or not people, whether or not we want critical hits back in fifth edition, uh, or not critical. I mean, call criticals. I mean, like like not just the 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 D twenty to double damage, um, but yeah. call crits to base call shots to be able to kind of have special effects. What's interesting is it is sort of in the game with things like the battle master. Like my battle master could take a shot to ground a large flyer that would make it fall out of the sky, which would have that kind of effect. But unless you have an ability like that, there isn't something that does that in this edition. Do you guys miss that? Well, I'm going to say that there there's two things that immediately pop into my head. The first is if you're adding bigger criticals, you have to take in consideration the ca- other character classes that have abilities tied to that. So, mm. for example, I'm saying I'm giving a big critical for large weapons. Well, what about the barbarian who already has extra criticals built into there? Then that starts getting a little nutty. Plus um, great weapon fighting, which adds 10 flat out. I mean, the combo is really great weapon, barbarian, improved critical, great weapon fighting, savage attack. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you're hitting for like, you know, three digits damage. on a crit. Yeah. yeah. But I will say, if Dave said, I want to punch this guy right in the face, and I'm like, okay... Well, there's not a called shot option in fifth that I've seen. Not a general one, at least. No, there not isn't. That's, like, that, that's a great no, There is not. That's no, not I mean, it's uh, that's the thing is with uh, what I would ask a lot of people who are all gung ho about that idea, because I, I understand where it comes from. Uh, and it was in, I think, pr- previous editions used to play with that a little bit, along with a couple of different mechanics. But. I would, you know, are they okay with the monsters also having these types of abilities? You know, when they get one-shotted by the by by a goblin, right? By just a simple like, are they going to be okay with that? And not one-shotted where the cleric can bring them back, but they're out now. Like it's mm-hmm. insta-death kind of thing. Like if you're okay with it for the thing because you want to be epic heroes, I think it has to be able to go both ways, and that's where it can go really bad because then. Like, to, with Tony, right, he has, like, the giant big band that you've built up all the way, and the ranger gets off a good shot and encounters done. It's, it's a little anticlimactic for no reason, I think. More so than Monk's done. Monk's done. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, because there's Isn't at least they built, in, they built in things to allow for that, right? But, like, called shots, like, you get off a, a, a lucky net 20, and you've called, like, you know, whatever, some sort of throat well, shot or something. Let's think about this from a different point of view, though, because I would actually argue, while it is true there is no base cold shot system, I would argue that with the Battlemaster maneuvers, almost every Battlemaster maneuver is effectively a cold shot, whether it's a pushing strike or a trick tripping strike or a disarming strike. But here's the thing. Anyone can get access to that through a feat. So anyone can take the Battlemaster maneuver feat uh, and basically get to – basically you get a – you, you, you get a Battlemaster die, and you get two two of the Battlemaster maneuvers, all of which do the kinds of things you're looking for. Like what? You want to, you want to frighten someone? Well, there's a, frightening, there's a frightening maneuver. You want to disarm someone? There's a disarm maneuver. So I kind of feel like there is a mechanism for getting it. It's just there isn't like a base attack called attack. It's like there's well, yeah. other abilities that let you do it. If we put it in that, in that perspective where the cold shot becomes a thing like, oh, you, you have them drop their weapon. Or you have them knocked down or something. I, I think I, I'm cool with that. And like you said, the Battlemaster would cover that. Um, but not just, I think sometimes the called shot is like, oh, well, I just want to put it right through his eyes so it hits his brain and he's dead. You know? Well, and that's where I'm kind of, a damage roll. <laughs> yeah, I'd be I, like, I, eh. If you're making attacks, then you can really handle that within the flavor text. Because, uh, I mean, in 5e, yeah. there is no difference between if I punch you in the chest or I punch you in the head. That is the same damage, unless you're saying a headshot is specifically a crit. 
and then that's fine too. But yeah, I don't know how I was going to feel when the Remoraz runs up and bites and he takes times four damage. Then you know, he's swallowed, he's maimed, and he's got 12 hit points left. Yeah, and I think that that really is the the, the kind of the, the potential downside of it. But you know, coming at this from the point of view of encounter building, so we've talked a bit about kind of our philosophies for encounter building, what we're trying to accomplish when the players come together. Let's talk a little bit about what makes a bad encounter. Like, and you know what? I'll just start with something here. I'll start with a story we can talk about. The Green Dragon this. battle in my campaign in 4E that lasted like four hours. No, the one in my campaign. <laughs> the, the, the one you played in. Actually, that is exactly what I want to talk about. And here's why. Oh, wow. Right, so, so, Tony, I want to let you set the stage for this. Uh, I, I picked that. Yeah. So, let's, let's let you. So, so here's, a, here's a battle. It's a little bit the difference between my philosophy and some of the other philosophies, but it also talks about kind of what's the downside of this. So, Tony, why don't you tell them what your impression was of that green dragon? Okay. So, remember the I was. Ca- I, oh, of course I do. So, I'm Cassidus the Wizard, who. Uh, and I had a thief with me at a rogue. And I had a bunch of martial characters and we went to this elven court and he's like, well, I can help you if you can help me with this green dragon problem we have. You know, he lives over on this mountain. And, and, of course, I want to say our de facto leader in that party was, in in essence, a uh, battle master in 4E. He was very similar to uh, that style of character. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. We got this dragon hunting. Here we go. And we go out. We go into the dragon's lair. It was a massive cavern inside this mountain. And we get in there, and the dragon's flying around, and I'm shooting energy blasts up at it with, like, my at-wills, and the rogue shooting his crossbow bolts. You first fought him on top of a hill. The hill had a hole in the center to go down into his lair, but you guys first fought him, it was on top of that hill. And he just kept flying around and strafing you guys and flying too far away from the martial characters to get him coming back and strafing you well, guys, he, which you hate. You, you got you got the punchline there. So I turned to my three warriors in the party and I said, so guys, nobody brought a ranged weapon to this fight. And I look at the, the, the battle master. I'm like, isn't tactics your thing? <laughs> I, I was like, so disgusted. I'm like, I'm just gonna eat my cheese fries. Let me know when it's my turn to attack. <laughs> so the, and so this is this has actually been a c- kind of one of the more controversial uh, encounters uh, I've had as a DM. And I'm of two minds of it. On the one hand, the players clearly did not have fun getting strafed by the flying guy. <laughs> not really. On wow. the other hand, from my point of view, okay, they encountered the flying dragon who doesn't want to come down and fight them. It's up to them what they're going to do now. And I want the party to think about that and come up with a plan. Now, that plan can be we run off this hill, get back down into the woods where it can't fly by us so easy, and go back and buy some javelins or a ballista or whatever. It can be we're going to go back and fix our problem. But the party, to my mind, had a tactical problem. They did not have the powers or the equipment to deal with what they had before they were fighting, and they didn't have a plan to deal with it. I mean, frankly, the way most parties deal with fighting a flying dragon is the way you do it in the books. You meet it in its lair when it's asleep. You don't fight it on top of a hill where it can fly around and strafe you. Now, the lair also had some flyable areas, had some big tunnel-type areas. But, like, what I wanted the party to do, and what I think, what I expect my parties to do is when faced with that, hey, yeah, you're having a hard time reaching him, he's just going to strafe you to death unless you do something else. I'm not going to push that advantage till I kill someone, and I didn't kill anyone there. But I'm going to make it clear that you need to come up with a plan. In this party, they did go back, they did buy some javelins. One of the things we learned was that 4E was very bad for this kind of situation, because 4E, if you're a martial character, 4E did not give you very good ways to deal with flyers. 
So they had to kind of think about what are we going to do with the Flyers? And I'm willing to enable whatever they want. We want to buy nets or something? Okay, let's talk about building nets to capture the dragon. We can figure that out. You can do that. But I want to plan. I want the party to think like, okay, we're actual characters in this problematic situation. We came out here and we're stuck and we had a bad plan and it's not going to work. Go make a better plan. The party in this particular case wanted to hang out and have me park the dragon in front of them, which I will never do with a flying creature because flying creatures don't fight you toe to toe. That's why they have wings, man. <laughs> things that fly well don't stand in front of you and take hits that's not the idea they don't want it they don't want you messing up their face um no one likes getting punched in the face that includes the dragon so if they don't have mm. to get get in a fist fight they're in a, in a sword fight they're not going to that's, that's why they have fair. weapons and wings that's fair so i want and that's and this is something that's kind of controversial because I wanted the party to get invested and come up with better plans and come back and in some cases the party got frustrated and kind of it was just seen as kind of a, well, you know, you're not giving us a way to fight this guy when I wanted them to find a way to fight this guy. Now, Tony, you, if I remember, you didn't like that battle, right? Oh, no. As a player perspective, it was an absolute nightmare. But let me be fair. We were like level seven. So it's not like we we're mm. babes just out in the street. Like, you know, we were established adventurers. And then it was really my frustration at my, my the paladin the fighter and the battle master. And I'm like, guys, I mean, you can say four, he didn't have great weapons to do this. Okay. Maybe those javelin attacks wouldn't miss cool. Those bow attacks wouldn't miss cool. Those hand axes wouldn't miss cool. They would have been something. Right? They had nothing. This was a total, this is like the time we almost starved to death in the Tundra episode <laughs> because we forgot to pack food. That also happened. Oh, but there that's is not the DM's yeah. fault. Well, yeah. and, but that is one, even the Tundra episode, we've talked about that once, I think. And I remember DM communication being an issue in the Tundra episode. And when I think back on the Green Dragon episode, I also think my communication had to be part of that problem. Right. So uh... if I was going to come up with a better plan, I need that. I need I mean, it would have been great had I had an NPC up there like you idiots are getting strafed to death. Why don't we go think of something else? Okay, like, that's an NPC thing. But I also, like, I recently, without calling out specifics on this, recently I was in a game and I reminded the players to do something. Like, I said it to the point where I thought I was beating the dead horse and then they didn't do it. At that point. Was that us, Tony? Yes. At that point, <laughs> tough crackers. Like, I can't, I can actually think of two cases where that's happened. I mean, what that's what we do. It. We'll handle this off camera. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, uh, it's just well, something I the campaign or is it just kind of part okay, of Okay, fine. It, so I don't want to steal anything, guys, but I do want to talk real stuff if we can. Uh, okay, yeah. here it is real. I said, guys, stay in your disguises. Okay. Right. Uh, I'm uh, not doing that. Right. All right. Second one was, all right, did everybody do their training exercise in the game? Yep, we're all okay. Yep, okay, it's over. We all do it. Tally off. No, we didn't do it. What in the mother of... Beep! I mean, just beat me out. Like it's the yeah, right. like I'm like. I'm gonna like add, how? I'm gonna I add am, two I, things to that. I'm adding two things to that. So <laughs> first one with the Memnar's Guile thing that we got, which allowed you to dis to disguise yourself as a different race than we were. Um, I will say, as a player, in terms of the communication of it, I was very confused as to what was happening. I thought it was kind of a gift thing. It was a way to be fun and whimsical and kind of play around with the characters a little bit. So I wasn't, as my own just playing, I didn't really understand. I was like, okay, I'm not sure where this is going. So I didn't get necessarily that it was supposed to be disguised because we're being found. To, to, to be fair, though, the NPC did specifically say that. 
Okay. So again, <laughs> if, if you miss that part, you're really screwed, right? The second part of it, I will say too, with the skill challenge thing that we had, where uh, we had to do two, uh, we had to, you know, roll a certain DC on a skill that we weren't proficient in, and we get something. It was like a team building exercise within the game, which I thought was a really cool. Uh, I'm really enjoying that book I, mechanic that you have, where we have these skill building things. And I mean, um, let's let's the spell one it that out. didn't the one that didn't roll it was Amber's character who was being played by Scott too, along with his character. No, they both missed it. Actually, Scott, they're Scott both. Oh, all right. Well, never mind then. Then that's well. well and I mean, just as, to, for, for context for our listeners, this is basically Tony has introduced a skill book that if the party does certain things during the course of a campaign, we get certain bonuses. Like the first bonus was a free feat. Awesome. Uh, we can't, although, although we need to remember this when Tony mentions the CR system not really mattering because, well, he's also <laughs> thrown a free feat. He's thrown some early magic items. Um, and an adult but, dragon. It's been, but yeah, I mean, but it's been fine. It's been pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's been it's been really cool the way it works out. This, this particular challenge was everyone needs to make two successful skill checks, DC 12 or higher in a skill they're not proficient in. Yes. And if you do it, well, you get a reward. And that's probably you were going to get proficiency in one of those skills of your choice. Uh, we guessed that. We, he did not confirm that. Um, but OK, but that's hard to do is the problem. You know, trying to make a skill because because I know like I know my guy there is proficient in almost everything he's any good at. And if he's not proficient in it, he probably also has like a plus one or lower. <laughs> yeah bonus to it he so it's like be making arcana checks you know right. yeah. <laughs> my bugbear battle master is making arcana checks that intelligence is his dump stat uh but he did actually succeed it but now my bard that made yeah. sense because i'm like oh yeah i want to be proficient in all the things <laughs> so, so that that was the tricky part though was it wasn't like you had to just make two skill attempts it was that you had to make two successes at dc 12 which means you were probably rolling 50-50s to succeed, which makes it hard. I mean, anything that's a 50-50 to succeed is hard. Um, so that's why. Like, you had to keep kind of spamming these non-proficient skill checks to try to, to get them. And I think that's why. They, it wasn't that people were trying, because we all tried. But I think some of them just never hit the successes. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's the way it goes. I still think it was pretty cool. But then Tony was a very cool DM, and he still yeah. gave us gifts at the end anyway, so... Hey, I'm generous with pressure. What can I say? But that was actually, let's talk, well, if we want to talk about encounter building too there, that was a situation where the party's not doing what you want them to do exactly because on several occasions, the party walked past free treasure that had theoretically monsters ready to ambush you if you if you transgressed. And there's a great yeah. line from the movie Cabin in the Woods. They can't be punished or they can't, if they don't transgress. Um, mm. I don't know if anyone's ever seen Cabin in the Woods, but basically the- One idea, of the best horror oh, ideas gosh. ever made. Well, yeah, that was amazing. I loved it. And the idea is there's these teenagers camping in the cabin. They find all these weird things in the basement, like like little like kind of serial killer and, and monster kind of trophy kind of thing. Like the puzzle and box and all yeah. this. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Like, like pin yeah, stuff from literally like all the different horror genres they just placed in there. It was such a great and idea. And the bottom line is they had to pick up one of them in order for that monster to come get them. And if they don't pick up anything, the monsters have no reason to. They can't be punished by the monsters if they don't transgress. So we were going through this with a very sensible, lawful party. Not good, but a lawful party. Walking by like, oh, there's the dragon's treasure unattended. Well, we're not here for treasure. We're here for the airship. All right, let's go outside and go steal the airship. It's going to go, oh, God, go cover the airship, and the dragon has to come get us on the airship. Like, we just were not taking bait. Which I think was much better. I think that probably went out a lot better. Actually, it did. 
Yeah, because yeah, we yeah, we would have we would have all been hit by those uh, those breath weapons had we been in a close. You would actually been in a much tighter situation. Yeah, and that brings to me. Uh, worse. We were able to spread out. One of my points on char- on character create or yeah, character but encounter creation is that if you're afraid like the encounters aren't shaken up enough, or like you know your squishy characters are just gonna hide behind these impenetrable walls of defense. I know Thorne likes to send guys in from behind and harass. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do it like a pincer maneuver. I'm a big fan of the obvious area affecting attacks. So yeah. you threw out the breath weapon. You threw out the fireball. Hey, guess what? Everybody's hurt now. Now we all got some skin in this game. You also That was also an example of how you use a dragon a little bit different than I will. Because like, if I was playing the dragon, yeah, he would have attacked us on the ship, but he never would have landed on that ship. Or at least not in the beginning. Right. It would have been, right. been breath weapon strafe, fly, breath weapon strafe. You guys do anything about this? Because I'm not going to bother to land until you convince he, me I have to. He thought he was the shit. He didn't mm-hmm. think you were that tough. And right. Just, to be fair, his, not a smart dragon. His, White uh, dragons are considered low intelligence dragons. Like they're supposed to be swinging his big right? dragon dick around on the deck. <laughs> yeah. No. You know? He's like, yeah. you got a bunch of country bumpkins that came up who think they're the shit. You come into my lair, yeah. and yeah. I'm gonna freaking freeze you and have you as all popsicles later, and that's gonna be that. Uh, I think that. I think that's fair. I think that. Yeah. Fair, yeah. It definitely makes sense. That makes sense with that with with, with that dragon certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, so so we killed him. Yeah, he died. <laughs> I will say, so that kind of makes me think, too, back to something you had said, and it goes back to that idea of narrative and continuity that we were talking right. about, too, where uh, you were saying that the Green Dragon, when you read the lore on it, has certain aspects to it, right? Yeah. A White Dragon has certain aspects. A Vampire has certain aspects. And I think that's important, too, and I would seriously urge people to read that lore in the Monster Manual, in Volos, in Morton Canaan's, all of the – any supplement you can find of lore because it just gives you tons and tons and tons of information not only for role play and campaign building but encounter building. Why yeah. is this, this beast acting this way? Why is the creature acting this way? You know, If it's a brilliant tactician, it's not going to run in. And if it's a dumb orc or something, it's not going to be thinking like some, uh, you know, like uh, George Patton, you know? Remember, orcs aren't dumb anymore. That's true. That's true. And the, <laughs> the one that's coming after you is probably stupid, though. I, but I think it's fair to say, like, like a, um, I mean, wolves are going to act as a pack, but they're not going to act that intelligently. Uh, a shambling mound is going to shamble forward, right? I mean, it's, it's a matter uh, of the, yeah. it's a matter of the, at, the monster embracing the kinds of tactics it is generally made to embrace is, is really the way I think you want to come at it philosophically. And if you do that, the reward is you get encounters that are more interesting than just, hey, we open the door, hey, there's monsters here, hey, we all roll dice and fight. Because I know for me, an encounter where I do nothing more than roll dice and make attacks, and I don't get to think critically about, okay, how can I, what can I do here, what should I do here, how do I find an exploit against my opponents, or how do I just tactically act smart as my character? If it's an encounter where, I, where I'm just standing there and striking, I am bored. Like I literally find the kind of encounter that where I just sit there, a, make three die rolls, and move on. Boring. That is yeah. a great point, actually, yeah, and um, that's where I like to use environments. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I have to say, it's time to say I have the high ground. Like let's, <laughs> let's, you know, there's got to be things going on this map. If the players aren't stopping to look at the map you have and uh, considering their tactical options on there, then something went a little south in the camp in that battle, just on that principle. Um, also with that, Dave was talking about lore. Um, 
one of my personal favorites to shake the battle up even further is when you're in the middle of a pitch battle, why don't you charm the tank? That's fantastic. Oh, that's a good one. That That's true. And it comes down yeah. to kind you of... You want tension? Uh, welcome yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, and that's that's a great point, too. Is it's always nice to have an encounter where things go a little differently. I had the ghost try to impress them in one of the Woodstock... I tried to... Uh, I'm sorry, not impress. Uh, possess. Possess. One of the Woodstock Wanderers yeah. in one of the games. Also would have been the tank, point of fact. You know, yep. little things that are like a little outside the box where it's not just line up and swing at each other, but things where it's some of your guys are asleep or some of your guys are charmed or some of your guys are trying to deal with possession. And, you know, it's like mix it up some, you know, kind of add some of this stuff that kind of adds some spice to it. That's a, a good time for our, our episode of D&D history, uh, because uh, the module Ravenloft, the original module of Ravenloft and, and Count Strahd, uh, written by Tracy Hickman and um, Laura Hickman and Tracy, uh, both of them, right? Both Hickmans. As far as I know. Yes. Anyway, the story goes, because he writes about it in, in like one of the intros, that the whole genesis for Strahd and Barovia was that they were playing a game in one of their friends' sessions, and they were just doing like a dungeon delve, right? So yeah. dungeon room to dungeon room, and it was just a monster. a monster. A mummy would pump out, and a goblins would pop out. And they went in one room, and he said, there's a vampire, let's fight it. And he said he literally sat there and went, why is why are you here? Like, why is this vampire here? Like, this makes no <laughs> sense. And from that, built this idea of this brilliant tactician uh, count over an entire land and, like, this big bad thing, which then turned into, like, one of the most successful modules ever. Um, but for that very reason, because why would a vampire be there? Why would you know, uh, whatever it might be, an ancient red dragon, right? He's not just running around strafing people, you know? So, yeah, think about I mean, that what... That is fun, but you're right. Yeah, <laughs> think about why are they doing these things, you know? I like Keith Adams' book the uh, and website, The Monsters Know What They're Doing, yeah. is great because he really tries to break that down into tactical situations, you know? Well, I mean, before you had Strahd, you uh, had to defer to Count Dracula. So if you're going to break into a scary yeah. castle and fight a vampire... That was the only foundation you had, especially back in the red box, blue box kind of days. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, motivations make encounters. And they make monsters. Motivations make great monsters. They make great encounters. It's why is this thing here and what is it do? Why is it doing what it's doing due to those motivations? Whether it's defending its home, it's hunting you, it's just strad, and he's just in the long run, he's, he's just screwing with his food essentially. You know <laughs> what? What are they trying to do that makes the encounter interesting? Yeah. Um, and I will say, you know, it's funny because uh, it. If you can get to, you don't want to get to that level with every encounter. Obviously, you know, every random monster they run into or every room guard doesn't maybe have a huge backstory. Maybe the backstory is just these guys were paid to protect this thing. But, you know, that factors into when do they break and run. People getting paid to guard something don't fight to the death. They oh, yeah. stop when they're at half hit points. They're like, my, this isn't worth the money. My, my last party uh, before I hit uh, 5e was really good with that where, you know, they'd run into an encounter. There'd be some guys there. And one of the characters would speak up and be like, yo, what are these, what are they paying you? Cause here's money, leave. And, he'd <laughs> awesome. and they awesome. leave. They're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this guy's it's, offering it's me like eight grand. Well, yeah. all right. Yeah. Why like, am I getting killed? It's like, what's your special ability? My wallet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm rich. That's my superpower. <laughs> 
You can kill, like, we can kill you for more money. It's not on me. <laughs> I have more at home. I'll ship you something. One thing 4E did very good with uh, encounter building, they were too balanced. I mean, that, okay, I immediately said that and then hit it with a criticism, but yes, they were too <laughs> balanced for everything. Like, everything had rulers and charts and graphs, but one thing they did very well with that was they structured the monsters, where it's like, this is a brute, this is a lurker, this is your artillery, and then you could structure your campaign, your counter based yeah. on that. So you would just throw in a bunch of, you know, attacking creatures or uh, defensive creatures. You could really mix it up and make it interesting. But then again, um, if done know, wrong, then it got slow because they had too many abilities. Well, you know, and arguably, arguably, all those archetypes are still there. They're just not spelled out. I would also That's, say what 4E did wrong to some extent was it did the same thing to the players. And as a player, I certainly didn't really appreciate playing my tabletop RPG, trying to have to embrace a role like it was an MMO. That's not, you know, that was mm -hmm. really limiting. I'm, I don't want to get into addition wars, but I mean, to me, yeah. that was at the same time. No, we really, we, we, we've, been, we've been talking for a while. Uh, we really should get into, let's get into some tips for how do you build a, a good encounter. And let's get into some of that stuff. Some of the, some of the placement kind of stuff. I have said, you know, I'm not a big guy for the, for me, I don't usually come in with just, here's one monster you guys fight might happen on occasion. I tend not to. I tend to do more where I do mix my monsters up a little bit. So it'll be, here's the one big threat monster. Here's some other monsters that are kind of probably going to rush you and just kind of give you something else to deal with. And here's some monsters that are fighting from a range or they have some other ability that makes it a different kind of challenge. I do like throwing those things on the table. Uh, to what Tony said earlier, you don't want too many, say, auras on the table. You don't want too many things on the table that confuse the players and confuse you. But I think it's worth having, you know, okay, there's different kinds of monsters. These guys are kind of fast and quick. This is the big scary one that they're going to be afraid. It's probably, it might take a turn or two to get to you, so I can kind of have some tension building as he gets closer. Here's some guys at range. Here's some guys, uh, you know, maybe there's some guys attacking you from cover that you can't easily get to, so you got to make a decision. Do we go root them out, or do we just take that fire and deal with the guys in front of us? I like to make the party make some interesting tactical decisions and, and kind of have some stuff going on that makes it more than just, hey, we show up, we fight these things. If it's wolves, they're going to run around behind you and try to kind of wolf pack you. You know, if it's spiders, spiders might come out where you're not expecting. If it's, you know, if it's like kind of cave dwellers, well, oftentimes a cave has a couple different things in the niche. It's a roper and some piercers. So those are baby ropers. Or maybe there's like a cave fisher somewhere in addition to whatever the 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 bully kind of monster you're fighting. I like mixing it up and making the party deal with some different kinds of threats. So that's one of my tips. What about you guys? What are some, what are some kind of hallmark tips you'd give here? Well, I'm not afraid to throw in waves of monsters. Mm. One map, <laughs> let's throw in a second round, maybe an encore. And with that, I'm also not afraid to have one of the monsters change forms. So one of my most uh, infamous yeah. tricks yeah. is you're fighting a wizard and well, he was a wizard in the beginning and now he's something else in round two. So if you didn't hear a bell, that encounter is not over. It's like the meme it's, with the barbarian, wizard barbarian. He, I'm out of spells and he rips off his, his cloak and he's ripped. He's like, God, take this old school now. Or the old set. Or Palpatine takes the lightsaber out and you're like, oh crap, it's, it's so bad. It's so where, where most of us saw it for the first time, the Sephiroth. Sephiroth going through his many forms as you fought him. Even before Frieza, I saw Sephiroth change forms. No, actually, I would say the best one for that was, and you guys may have catch this reference, was Final Fantasy VI. When you went to go fight Kefka, he went through four forms, and it was extremely epic. 
<laughs> Sounds pretty cool. I don't remember how many Sephiroth went through. I feel like it was at least three. Um, difficult to say. Remember the last one he had duck wings under him. They might call those angel wings. He looked like a, looked like a big duck. <laughs> he was not the one winged duck, sir. No. <laughs> What about you, Dave? What's your uh, what, what's a good tip from you? So I got three different things that I'm kind of playing with here. Um, the first is learn your players because your encounter building will change in that campaign depending on it because they'll build certain tactics and strategies that they like. The, the one guy who always wants to fly, the one guy who always wants to climb up a tree with his bow, and then as Thorin will do all of a sudden, well, guess what? This thing flies too, so welcome to it, right? So mess with that, you know, or go the route of Tony and do the mirror challenge and just, I guess, kill them. I don't really know <laughs> where else that's going to go, but yeah. No, uh, they but should prevail that players. challenge. Learn your players, and that'll help you build that encounter. Uh, as I always do, I always say kit bash stuff. Um, you got tons of stuff out there with already built encounters, and there's a lot of great, there's a lot of bad ideas in them, but there's a lot of great ideas, and it can give you a sense, especially in different systems, if you're if you're just new to 5e, let's say, and you're not sure, uh, it will show you what the designers have said, well, this is a pretty good encounter, or this is a really dangerous encounter, or this is an easy encounter. A real technical, crunchy kind of thing, I know Thorin does this a lot, uh, I try to as well, um, especially if you've got a ton of people on the board. Uh, do multiple groups in your initiative order so that you don't yeah. get crushed by the action economy of your players. Because if they get four rounds, boom, 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 you're, you're not going to get much off. But if they have to be worried about that next person that's coming up, then – and also that makes it a little easier on you in terms of moving all these people around and keeping track of hit points and what freaking powers and condition immunities they have so you don't – have the night hag be under the suggestion spell, which which is an awesome <laughs> turn of events. But I mean, obviously, by raw it should never have happened. Maybe but. Phineas just made a very good argument. Maybe he just convinced yeah, her the power of his persuasion. I love it. I love it because it's you know it's turned into now a whole other uh, avenue that I can take with it. But, sure, we'll uh, read it later. And then uh, one thing I will say that kind of goes back. I was I was waiting to kind of drop it in there, but it goes back to the psychology of the game between behind the screen and as a player. Be worried about like what I'm going to call battle map mentality or encounter yeah. hypnosis uh, where, oh, well, something is happening. So we have to fight where I remember Thorin in in that game with the spiders, the tunnel of spiders uh, with the Woodstock Wanderers. Beam was like, run, my dragonborn cleric was run, run, let's retreat. We can beat them out. And no one else did as I'm running away from the party. And everyone else stayed, no, we have to fight. This is D&D. &D. Um, and then also the temple retreat when we were uh, coming up on the grungs on the giant temple. And yes. we tried to retreat. And some of the players weren't. So we literally had to drag them away. So players don't necessarily know that all these options are actually viable. You just wanted to build on two things you said there. One, groups, multiple groups in the initiative I think, is, I think, really important, especially in 5th edition. Not only is it that you don't want to take the action economy beat down on your guys, also, having the battlefield change middle of combat makes the players think on their feet. And that's really my theme. I want the players thinking on their feet. Yeah. And it ties into the next thing, which is just, like you said, making sure the players understand they can retreat and sometimes should retreat. Tony, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you want your players coming in knowing they don't need to fight everything. They might be able to talk their way out of some things. Yeah, that is definitely on the table. 
or they can bribe their way out, or they can maybe sneak around, or maybe they can sneak and get the jump on something and make it an easy combat. I really want the players thinking of all those things. I want them thinking like, I want them, I want this to be alive. You know, I want them in their characters. So their thinking and their planning is alive when they're coming into an encounter, not just, Oh yeah, I spam it with my fire. I spam it with Eldritch Blast or I spam it with attack. And then we move on. That's the way you approach an MMO. And I think if you're playing your D&D game like it's a video game, I don't think you're getting nearly what you can get out of D&D. You yeah. want to get your players yeah. out thinking thinking outside the box, thinking laterally, thinking like these are actual living beings who have a full suite of options in front of them. Yeah. As they should. Uh, that's also why I like to have my opponents, my monsters, use magical items whenever possible. Mm. That gets fun. Now you well, also have a great way to place magical items yeah. in your campaign because then oh I want that really cool sword that that dude's swinging well, so right. I need to kill him. If there's a magic <laughs> item in the horde, shouldn't they be using it if they can? Right. I mean, if you have a yeah, if you yeah, have a magic right? item in the horde in in, in the in the fighter who was guarding it or the or or, or, or the it's whatever the ogre wasn't using it, what the hell was he doing with it? Why is he not using the vorpal sword? I don't really. Well, I was, still he's got this I'm saying you're not going to see a black pudding using a vorpal sword, but <laughs> that is true. Little, that's a little different. A little different. Yeah, sure. I mean continuity. But he's stunnable. I mean, he just punched that black pudding right in the. Pudding. You're gonna right take out. some damage from that punch, though. I mean, that's gonna happen. It's gonna <laughs> eat away at your or something. But uh, even uh, simpler spell effects can really make the uh, an encounter especially interesting. Like, I am a big fan of haste. I mean, I'm sorry. Why not have a wizard in the back haste a bunch of guys to just bum-rush the party? They're all faster, have better deck saves, more actions. All just of took it, a yeah. very mediocre encounter and made it hard. And if it was hard, now it's deadly. I guarantee you, your party is not expecting to face haste on the other side of the, of the battlefield. We're hunger of Hadar, for that matter. Something Man, big that is area a great controlling. point, right? Could you imagine? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that. Like, I don't know if I've really gotten to them saying this now, and that this is where it's going to go bad. I don't think I've ever really had someone who's casting haste on the other side of the screen. That would it's be not super rare. Why not? Yeah, that right? would be frightening because all of a sudden they're getting you know two, three, four attacks around. You know. I mean- it's another it's another flavor of the mirror match to a certain point of view. If your party is using these spells to great effect and they're fighting intelligent magic using opponents, why wouldn't those opponents use the same things? You know, you'd yeah, yeah. make the party deal with the kind of tactics they're using. Not all the time, maybe it's only five percent of the time, but have it come up. You know, catch yeah. them with their own tricks. I think it's I think that's some of the best fights are when the when the, when the enemies do the same things the party's been doing to kind of get the jump on all the enemies. You know, word gets around. Congratulations, Power Gamer, you're a celebrity. They've all heard of your tactics. <laughs> they're calling this the Picard maneuver or whatever your name yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And now he's part of the Borg. You're welcome. (laughs) You now know every secret and every code. You know, I I mentioned the battle of mind that went bad and kind of why I thought it maybe went bad. And it was really came down to what the players said afterwards that it kind of, and it kind of felt like a drug, like with that green battle, that green dragon battle, more than people not having ranged weapons, more than the tactical side of things. The number one thing I regret about that battle was it took forever for the party to decide they couldn't take this thing on and walk away and it was the drag. So when I have a bad encounter, what I consider bad is when we all get bored because it's a slog. And a lot of things can cause that, but that is to me when an encounter has been built incorrectly. You know, two easy encounters can be annoying too because if you're fighting a bunch of two easy things, they can also be a slog. I've been in some encounters with a lot of low-level enemies where it's just I kill two of them in a round and I wait. I kill two of them in a round and I wait. Slogs for me 
are what kind of tell me the encounter is not built correctly and I should make them more interesting or faster. Faster is really important because if you feel it slogging, end it. Figure out a way to get out of it. That's some of, to me, kind of how I see a bad encounter in React. Tony, yeah, what do you got? Well, well I got to tell you, um, the irony is if encounters end too quickly, that's also a problem because like oh, in that yeah. last game, you guys just cut through everything because you're able to deal with that role play versus those long battles. I was in a... You were in this campaign with me. I wasn't running this campaign. I want to talk about, I mean, I could bring up the infamous ghost carriage episode, but we have already talked about that, where the phantom carriage is running everybody over and driving away, coming back and running them over, and then the, the martial carriage is just chasing it around, and they couldn't they couldn't get a hold of it. They had to ready all their attacks and poke it in the wheels while it was lunging at them. I'm but, saying, um, it's like the dragon encounter, actually. It's the same idea. If the party can't he- handle mobility... Well, they better find a way to handle mobility, right? Oh, that—that that was that was. I felt that encounter was an absolute train wreck or carriage wreck, if you will. You and I were in a campaign where one of my close buddies was running that. It was a DM where we were all in these catacombs and we we're looking for this one uh, cleric assassin. We were looking around for him and an item he had stolen, and we were we're standing around in a circle having this discussion. And I got back, backstabbed and taken right out. Boom! I'm done. There, there's the assassin, and I'm on the ground gurgling in my own blood. Initiative. The cleric assassin casts hold person and paralyzes three of the party members. There is one left, and now he's fighting the boss solo. That was an encounter that went so far south. Like, honest to God, like, I wasn't even in Florida. I was, like, swimming in the water. I was down by the Gulf. This guy then proceeded to take out the paralyzed guys one after another while the, the I believe it was, was a ranger, Jer, not Jer King, uh, another ranger was was laying into him. Uh, so you got taken down, Tom got taken down. It was a disaster. So the ranger managed to polish this guy off in the end with a couple of lucky hits. And then he revived me and he's like, yeah, good news. Uh, you're only maimed. Bad news. Everybody else is dead, but we got the guy. I'm like, that's horrible. There is no good news. <laughs> yeah, that is where I like fifth edition over. That was second edition. That was like probably a yeah. one and two hybrid. But what I like is at least in fifth edition, all those dudes would have been unconscious at that point, not necessarily dead. So if the ranger pulls it off, you at least have an encounter. Everyone's like, well, we really got our asses kicked, but who? Okay, we can move on. If they're dead, dead, and there was nothing they can do about it, because I mean, that is what? Okay, he's hidden. Well, what you just didn't make your you didn't make your roll to unhide him. Uh, you didn't make your save against this whole person, and uh, you're dead. Well, that's two unlucky rolls, and the players and the character's dead. To me, as a player, that's pretty lame. You know, if I'm dead because of my own bad tactics, that's one thing. If I'm dead because I got a couple unlucky rolls and that was it, and now it's done, I'm like, well, great. No, yeah. this was a really shitty slot machine. Thank you. <laughs> that to me, yeah, that, that's that's what makes it not fun. On the other hand, I love cranking up the difficulty that way. I wonder what what could have been done to make that a better encounter. Well, I have to say then, okay, if this guy jumped out and took out like the party duelist uh, and then said, okay, now your remaining guys need to deal with me, that's something. But then to be like, actually, you want to suck the fun out of encounter, paralyze everybody. Just watching guys standing around and going, okay, my turn came up. And especially second edition, which was super unforgiving. There's no saving through every round. You blew your save. You're toast. You're waiting for the duration to end. Just and have that's a banshee it. come out. Have a banshee it, come out and drop the whole party because oh my of shit rolls. And you're yeah. like, oh, God, it was only a CR2. Oh, well. 
<laughs> yeah, and I've been guilty as a DM of doing that sometimes. You do have to be careful with how many stun and paralyzation effects you're using as a DM. Because that happened in 4th edition. As much as it was annoying the players kept stunning the monsters, there were also monsters with stun effects that kept players locked down, which I felt no guilt about using because I had the players are doing it. But on the other hand, I got to say, it is not fun to sit there and get kicked in the nuts round after round and not be able to take nope. an action. Mm-hmm. So it is something to keep in mind. Paralyzation should be used sparingly. And when you do it, they're going to remember it, so make it pay. And then be careful, especially in 5th edition, be careful if characters are paralyzed and stunned and things like that, because uh, I believe that turns every hit on them into a critical hit automatically. Mm. Um, and, like, the, the, the continuity of the monsters kind of tells you that they're going to continue to attack. Some monsters even literally say, once a character's down, they're going to attack that character. I think the ghoul's one of those, if I remember. Yeah. And Which made the TPKs. Go, if, yeah. That can go really bad. Like, that almost happened in the Slaver's Bay one, uh, when you guys were in the Warren of the Troglodytes, because you had bottlenecked yourselves uh, for safety reasons in the tunnel leading into their thing. And I had, I think, like 14 or 15 Trogs out there and um, Shannon's character went down, and that Trogmite oh, had no one to attack. Character. Yeah, had no one to attack, so it started to attack her while she's making saves. Now, I knew that the cleric was right behind her, right? Mm-hmm. But with that said, it's like you can easily start to just, well, now everyone's not knocked out. They're dead dead. You got a lot not of that. <laughs> Max can save this one, folks. Yeah, no, this is it. You're, yeah. You know, um, we're adventuring I, in the afterlife now, which might be fun. <laughs> you know, Elysium, you have to figure out how to get to the, the realm. Angels, the golf that course. That might be fun. I don't George know. I mean, Dave, did you feel like that was a good encounter, or is that like kind of a is that an encounter you feel like you did that didn't go well? I mean, like, what is like a negative example of something you tried that you felt like? Yeah, no, it, it uh, you know, it, it just went the way it went. That was just kind of a. Uh, I was hoping that it would have been more of a of a all out, you know. Uh, battle in terms of people spread out in the in on the mat type of thing as opposed to you kind of bottlenecked in and then you said we need to stay here i think hannibal had your character had turned into probably a dire wolf and was Was in essence was this the troglodyte encounter huh was this the troglodyte encounter yeah you would and i think you held the the foreground with that so that they couldn't get to the rest of the party and you guys were trying to snipe them from outside so there was very little that they could do, uh, and they just started to attack, you know. But well, we were, at that point, you just kind of go, because they're in their home. They have nowhere to really retreat to. I mean, we had um, – it's funny you put, bring that up, because honestly, I will say, out of that game, that was yeah. the one encounter to me that, st- that sticks out as having been very sloggy. Yeah. Uh, in oh, part because I – yeah. Yeah. And, and what happened there from my point of view was I did turn into a dire wolf and I didn't want to waste my transformation to get out of something out of that into something more mobile because I could tell I was going to be taking hits. And, you know, obviously, if you transform out, well, you lose hit points, essentially. That's free temporary hit points from one yeah. point of view. Yeah. Um, and, a and, and I had one attack and, yeah, I had advantage if I was next to somebody and I could try to trip a troglodyte. But there were so many troglodytes and the troglodytes were just kind of, it was like a zombie wave. Like, it was like being trapped by a horde of zombies, and you're just bottled up, and all you can do is you make your attack roll. Boom, 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 yeah. Attack roll. Attack roll. It's like, it was, was, okay, I make one attack roll, and then I wait. Everyone else goes. All the troglodytes go. I make one attack roll. I have nowhere to move. I wait. And that is, like, I think that's, 
we never saw that again. And we haven't seen that again in any of your other games. But I do think to me, that was an example of kind of one where like, yeah, there just wasn't enough movement in that. Yeah, no, not at all. And that's, that's where I learned the best. It's funny. uh, Just as a a last thing, uh, when I talk about, you know, battle map mentality or something, uh, the, uh, that Pathfinder game I was running is where I learned that the best. And it, funny enough, had to do with a green dragon. I don't know why <laughs> green dragons seem to teach us. so much. Not so lucky. Huh? Yeah, so if you're, if you're concerned, fun. young DMs, about learning these things, throw a green dragon into your game, because obviously they are great teachers. Um, <laughs> but I had, I had uh, this uh, green dragon was kind of a lieutenant for this dragon king evil cleric that was amassing power, blah, 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 whatever. And he was guarding this one bridge that they had to keep so that the army, when they arrived, could come over and take over this other town as they kind of swept over the land. So you got a green dragon on this bridge. And across from the bridge, you have literally a battalion of a hobgoblin army. You know, who knows how many, but there's tents, there's cook fires, you know, there's a lot of people here. And a young to adult green dragon just perched out on one of the turrets. So my party of four, I think level four characters, because my hope was that they were going to retreat and then I was going to introduce a a party that was going to help them to take the bridge and blow it and all this. They're like, well, no, I mean, we obviously have to try to stop this. So they stormed the bridge for level four party against literally adult green dragon and hobgoblins, and I killed every single one of them. Now that's where I learned. That's where I learned how to do with prejudice. Yeah, that's how I learned because I didn't want it to go that way. So that's why I learned how to go from total party kill to total party capture. Right. So then they woke up, captured, and then they and then I handed out the sheets. I've talked about this before of the other team who now wasn't just helping them. They had to go on not only a rescue mission and then also blow the bridge, which then turned into a really cool encounter. But then I realized. Oh, when I throw down an encounter, even if it's not a battle map, but especially a battle map, they, the idea is, oh, we got to fight this. Well, this is it. Like, so ideas about retreat, like there has to be a lot of communication because players don't necessarily get that. They're not necessarily hearing that from you in your head. Yeah, yeah. You know? But I think uh, hopefully that learned them. I mean, that'll learn them, right? <laughs> that'll learn them. We charge the bridge. You all die. Roll up new characters. Make them yeah. smarter this time. Yeah. I mean, it was that was bad. It was really bad. It was really, I didn't even have time to try to like adjust. It just was like, no, this is death from above. It's just, it's like when the dragon strafed the, uh, the, uh, Jamie Lannister's, uh, money train in the one episode of Game of Thrones, when he just strafed, and it's just, it's just carnage, right? Just carnage. (laughs) And that's, to me, that's how a dragon should fight. The dragon doesn't fight fair. The dragon isn't built to fight fair. Yeah, it's got claws and fangs, but it can, it's a, Bummer. It's going to strafe by and burn the hell out of everything under, underneath it. Um, but, you know, that brings me one more thing I want to hit, and then we'll kind of get to last thoughts. But death in encounters. We've talked again and again about kind of we have like kind of it's important to kill, to, to have death as a threat to so they take it seriously. Uh, at the same time, you know, we've talked about like that. It's like, well, that was a TPK. You count as a negative encounter. What really is your philosophy on killing players or knocking players out and how you just handle that? KO to death in your encounters. I think knocking a player out is much more. I mean, that that's better as a whole. 
I wouldn't avoid death. Like if it happens, it ha- it happens. And if you kill death, then I think essentially you're killing the, the any type of tension you want to have in your game. Yeah. I would just not ever go for that. Like, okay, now's my chance. I could put you away. Da, 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 like, you know. Like it's like it's what Dave, like what we were talking about with the troglodyte kind of well didn't have another uh, uh, anyone else to attack, so it's attacking the down character. Like and that is a corner case because it didn't have another logical thing to do, and you could ramp up you could ramp up the, the kind of the, the tension by having it do that yeah, with a clarifier yeah. finder. Yeah. Also, I guess it changes as you kind of start getting access to things like Revivify, right? Because with Revivify in the party, well, now you can have a gold chow down on someone and, okay, you, you know they have a way to get back out of it. You know, but, like, I don't necessarily – I'm very seldom going to have anyone attack a downed character, someone that's KO'd where they're starting to add death saves by the attacks because – yeah, it just seems to me like one that monster probably has other things to worry about, unless it's really hungry, I guess. I mean, it's famished, okay, maybe. And two, like, yeah, getting hit when you're down is no fun, <laughs> unless there's a way that you know people can bring them back. And then I guess if there's a revivify in the party, or there's a, yeah, they're a little higher level, they get access to things like resurrect. Now you could play with it a little more, you know. But I am very cautious about kind of having the random. Well, this ghoul, you know, ghouls eat what's on the ground, and you're on the ground, so yeah, now roll up a new character. Like I don't feel like that's a good enough reason to roll up a new character unless things have totally gone to hell for the party. Um, that's my thought on it, at least. Dave, what do you th- what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think the, like especially we talk about it a lot with Five E, and I think that they've created enough that death is really hard. Like real death, death is very yeah. very very hard. Because you have so many opportunities to not just only heal, but stabilize and, and these kinds of things. So And then save, death saves and all this stuff. Um, so it's really hard to kill, kill. Um, I haven't killed tons and tons of players. Uh, when I have, uh, there was only one that I kept dead because it was, in essence, uh, that same Pathfinder game. It was like the finale. And, uh, and it was an insta-death one because it was, uh, it was double the, the hit points available. Mm-hmm. So it was mass damage rules. So at that point, you're just done uh and i was like wait wait and i literally i went wait how many hit points do you have total and he said and i was like and i just held out my hand for his sheet and i just took it uh and he was like oh okay uh, isn't that where like that's where cr i know the path didn't have cr but that's why i like what i like about cr in fifth edition is that okay i have a sense of when i'm playing with a monster that could do yeah. that to a character yeah absolutely and that 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 what i'm talking about with that one the the encounter balance was uh, there was nowhere near it i was ludicrous yeah. i was a complete well, insane person behind I mean, the screen with that keep <laughs> but, in mind i mean as well, you i did also as give you... them that sword that gave a plus 50 against dragons which okay that i still never natural. understand but that's kind of classic <laughs> newbie dm stuff i've talked about how my campaign i mean did, did you have breeding to did you have no, no, I didn't have that. I creating didn't have a that. gladiatorial I had, thing. Uh, I, mean, I had the they they had crafted. They went through. They crafted Labash 2's lament. So you know you had to give it to them. But uh, but yeah, I, uh, I think there's a lots of ways that you can um you can do it. Whether I like Tony's thing, where like knocking them down tells them, you know, that ramps up the tension. They don't necessarily have to die, but sometimes you know you die. That happens. As a player, I I accept that fact. You know, but not all players do, I think. QE was really unforgiving with that. I mean, we played with an optional death stores rule, which allowed you to go to negative 10 hit points, regardless of what your max was. You could have 150 hit points and go to negative 11 and you're dead. And that was an optional rule. 
by the book, if we're going to the Raw, which everybody loves to keep talking about, you go to zero points, you're fucking dead. End of story. <laughs> well, because all the monsters go, like, to zero and they're dead, right? Yep. So, mm -hmm. you know. Pushing yeah. up daisies, well, I mean, done. We're also, we've seen this game evolve, right? I mean, first and second edition, uh, basic two was very much, you know, hey, your your characters come in, they probably die in the first couple rooms. You go, you build new characters, they know more, you know more about the joint. You come in, maybe you get a little further. It seems like they almost expected you to go through characters to get through the levels of the dungeon. Like, it almost felt yeah. like you were playing, it almost feels more like you were playing like a uh, Contra. Or like kind of one of the old NES games or like Atari games where there was no save function. You had to beat it flat out or, or, or Mike Tyson's punch out, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you learn how Great to beat game. these things as you go. Um, that's not what we're playing anymore. And it's also not the – it's fun in its own way. And there's, there's definitely a reason to go back to that on occasion. But today we're dealing with – you know, there's, there, we have more refined ways of dealing with these things. You have these different mechanics that let you – scare players and put the fear of death out there without making them give up characters because that you want them to be invested in those characters and the story around those characters because that's what makes your game right. you know you can't have a game players care about if their characters keep dying every two or three sessions yeah or even like there. back in those in like the od and d uh times like thor remember when scott from the authors group told us about mm -hmm. the one campaign back in because he started with the white box back in like yeah. the early 70s and he said his one friend, uh, this girl, was running a campaign for him and kind of didn't want to. So when their party walked out of a tavern, this is the first session. They walk out of a tavern, they fall immediately into a bottomless pit. And they just keep falling. So every week they would check back. Hey, we still falling? She's like, yep, you're still falling. <laughs> and that was the campaign. And I'm like, like, it's funny in a way, right? Same with like the Tomb of Horrors stories and things like that. But this right now in the current era that's not i don't think what people are necessarily looking for they like the idea of the character development and yeah. the story and that kind of stuff so that that merciless death and, and gritty realism is maybe not as fun for them <laughs> so that girl also clearly passed her, uh, her her deception check i mean she managed to tell them to go to hell and have them look forward to the trip and as, as, yeah. as someone of irish descent i i, I can respect that <laughs> Yeah, like, it's that's like, just such a dick move. I'm so, like, just, you're still falling? Yep, still falling. At least you weren't turned into a pile of undead bugs. You oh, got a, come on. You got a lot. I just, I heard that story. You got a lot of cool buffs for that. So whatever. All right. Look, look, I might lack empathy as a DM. I think that it's fair to say that perhaps my failing as a DM is I do have a true lack of empathy on some level. Pile of bugs it is. Well, you, you were the one who read the book. You wanted to read the Necronomicon? Okay, you read the Necronomicon. Here's what comes with that. I did it unapologetically. I, I, I am often an unapologetic DM. And that's uh, well, you know, pros and cons. Plus, you know, you know, you got to find the players who do who vibe with your style. And you know, it's uh, we talked about that in a few other episodes, right? You kind of got to, you know, we're all going at these things different ways. I'm going to strafe you with the dragon. You got to figure out how to get to. Tony's going to park him in front of you and give you a chance to have him fight you. You, know, you actually fight you kind of and have an epic martial combat with it. And you kind of got to have players who are willing to think their way through and go about those things a little differently. Um, yeah. 
You know, and that's really, I guess that's kind of my thought is again, my, my you know, get the final thoughts here. So we're going on a bit in this episode, but really, you know, however you want to go about your encounter building, the real trick is to figure out how you can have fun with it and help the players have fun with it. And sometimes that does mean, you know, setting out, Hey, this is the way my game works. This is, this is the kind of encounter you're going to be coming out with me and be ready for that. You know, you can have that session zero conversation about how do I build my encounters? What should you guys expect? How should you expect to approach these things if you want to? survive um and i think that's the really important thing to keep in mind however you're building your encounters again it comes down to communication with your players and making sure they know what they're getting into well you guys what are, what are your final thoughts on this uh final thought is if you have an encounter that's taking too long end it without ruining the continuity uh of your game if it drags on a little farther then so be it my solution there is just cut another encounter out altogether. Be like, maybe they've had enough encounters for the, this is a, this is a good point. Like do this and then the finale and cut it. Yeah, uh, I would agree with uh, with what Thorne was saying. Uh, I think, uh, like I said earlier, learning your players because uh, this is an ever evolving thing. So every session, uh, the DM is learning a lot and the players are learning a lot about how that table runs. And it's gonna be different with each table you're on. Um, and then on a final thing uh, with, uh, a lot of people do actually wanna, they, they really wanna understand the CR system and all of that. And they read the, the books and it's slightly confusing to them uh, because I think that they put in things that, that it, it can become a little bit confusing for things. There are a lot of great resources online, uh, things like Kobold Fight Club. Um, I think D&D 5e encounters or something, just Google these things. And you literally can put in the amount of players, what level they are, and just start throwing monsters out and it'll give you easy, hard, deadly, that type of stuff. So it might give you a sense if you're thinking, oh crap, this thing's gonna TPK them and you throw it in, it's like, oh, it's not too bad. So that can give you a little bit of a gauge if you're really worried about CR and balance. Yeah, definitely. And that's one thing that's great about fifth edition. There are, they've really opened it up to other people making content. And in some cases like Cobalt Flight Club, you can get perspective on the game that is really yeah. valuable to running it well. So some of the best content is being made outside of Watsy in part because Watsy's made the room for it. You know, the yeah. SRD and the way they've encouraged things. I mean, kudos to Watsy for realizing that having this kind of big tent makes for a better game for everybody. Uh, you know, last like final, final, call us the denouement. Do you guys have a sense of like what is your target number of rounds for for or number of rounds or turns for a combat like five or six, seven, eight? I feel like if you go past ten, it gets too long. What do you guys think? Like eighteen. I like eighteen <laughs> rounds. I want them to have to cast another spell that lasts for a minute. <laughs> I'm tired of one spell lasting for the entire combat, no matter how long it goes. <laughs> Yeah, I got to go with absolutely not. It's like a good story. You put as much into it as you need to, and then when it's finished, it should be over. Mm. I've had really long encounters or epic final battles, and they were not dragged out. But that was just what was happening. So absolutely. it depends on the tempo. Yeah, yeah. I, the two-hour mimic fight that I had, the one game, was uh, seems like a slog, but it wasn't at all. It was super fun, and everybody was laughing and having a great time about it. So. Yeah. More art than science here. 
And we find that with a lot of this stuff, right? We call it the art of DMing. And uh, I think it comes out here too. There isn't, there aren't specific formulas necessarily. It's really about the sci- about the art of figuring out, hey, you know, how do I paint this great campaign and this great night for, for me and my players? And that's yeah. it. And guys, on that note, you know, I've had a great time talking with you. Thanks a lot for, for being in here and again, going over your tips for encounter building. Absolutely. This was a great pleasure. To all you listening, thank you very much. We appreciate all your support. Remember to check out our additional content at threewisedms.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter where we share that stuff all over. Uh, and you can email us at threewisedms at gmail.com. Let us know the kinds of things you want us to cover. We'd love to get your get your input and bring you the kind of content that'll help you game. See you next week. Thank you.